to my first dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast where we put first-time DMs through their paces as we build and run their very first session and then circle back around to discuss what went right, what went wrong, and how they can make their game even better. So many D&D players want to take their turn behind the DM screen, but are thwarted by the same nagging questions. What if I'm no good? What if my adventure isn't fun? What if I forget the rules? What if, what if, what if? On this show, we seek to answer those questions, dispel those doubts, and provide a roadmap to help anyone run their very first game. And the best way to understand the process of learning is to take a peek behind the curtain and see what a first-time DM really looks like, warts and all. This is a three-part series. Episode one is all about prep, where we will focus on building the session, understanding the DM's worries, and setting them up for success. Then it's out of the frying pan and into the fire in episode two, where our dungeon dabbler will run their very first game for a group of experienced players. Then in episode three, we will look back on that first game and discuss what went right, what went wrong, and how we can improve. And along the way, we'll provide you with all of the raw, unvarnished session notes and give you insights on the best resources to help you better run your first or hundredth session. But remember, if you're having fun, you're already doing it right. And now I think it's time to meet our first time DM, Abby Hepworth. How's it going? Hello. How are you? Good to see you in this uh, here, our apartment. <laughs> let's let's jump right into it. So, Abby, you are a cast member on season two of the 20 Sided Podcast. You've played with uh, me in my home games a whole bunch. Uh, so you've played a lot. What other experience with D&D do you have? Like, do you watch any live play games or listen to any podcast? Have you read any of the books? What, uh, what else have you done D&D wise in your life? Yeah. Um, so I watch a ton of, uh, Dimension 20. Hell yeah. Love it. Favorite. Um, I did listen to the beginning of season two of Critical Role Mm -hmm. while running for, for a long stretch, but that was like very early on in my introduction to D and D. And so I found it really entertaining and interesting, but like didn't necessarily have the connection to it that I did then watching a visual version. Mm -hmm with um, Dimension 20. And then outside of that, I feel like I have this sort of experience and look inside being a DM solely through watching and helping you prep so many games. Mm -hmm. Like you've led so many and you, it's so much fun for me to, uh, it's the only thing about being in season two that I dislike is that it is so much fun for me behind the scenes to like bounce ideas with you and to talk things through and to talk about like challenges that you faced as a DM and that ways to get out of them and, or to work around them or to figure things at like puzzles out, uh, And so I have that sort of funny experience where it's like I'm adjacent to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I think honestly, you know, the first before the first time I ever DM'd, I had watched like a whole bunch of Critical Role. I'd listened to it. Uh, I think I'd listened to a little bit of or watched a little bit of Dimension 20. And I kind of thought at the time, like, oh, I still don't know what I'm doing. So I like I read a bunch of the rules and really just being adjacent to any kind of D&D thing. You learn the rules through osmosis pretty quick. I mean, ultimately, the, the basic rules of the game are simple. You improvise whatever you want to do. At a certain point, you'll be met with a difficulty class. You'll roll a die. You'll add an appropriate modifier. That's kind of it. Right. I mean, there are like rules that compound on top of that. But the basis of the game is just improv until there's a challenge and then roll a die and see if you beat an arbitrary number. 
Yeah. No. And I think it's also a thing, especially when you were first starting to do it and I was like watching you do it and, and, and was so impressed, but it was a thing that I've reminded myself of you having done this a bunch of times have learned when you've come up against spells or monsters or, or sorts of things, Mm -hmm. the intricacies of it, but it's impossible for you to know all of that going in. Like, yeah. Even why listening to Critical Role or watching Dimension 20, they have to look up rules or sometimes they mess them up of it's like, oh, I let you do this thing and I wasn't supposed to let you do the thing. But now we've already done the thing. So let's like homebrew a fix for it. And it's fine. And it's actually really fun and interesting. And honestly, I think that just like that piece of knowledge is a good place to start. Like throw if you if you want to be a first time DM and you want to like really get get behind the screen and run a game for your friends throw the idea out the window that you are going to be fully prepared mm-hmm. that you're going to know all the rules because you won't like th- there are a lot like the, the basic rules of the game are very simple but there are so many little tiny things you know it's how- just too much to know it's impossible for even the most exactly. experienced dm to know literally every class and everything that they do and every subclass and everything that they do and all every spell and every monster like it's impossible for you to know right. it all. is it a constitution save it is, is it a wisdom save oh i think it's this oh no it's actually this is that a concentration check ah, ooh, ah. like <laughs> even matt mercer you know who's played thousands of I mean, he's played a couple hundred hours of D on stream and probably thousands of hours in his life right will mess up things on the stream all the time then like it called out about it in the comments and they're like oh, oh well we're still having fun so it doesn't matter right and really like that is another big key that i want to kind of get across that if you're having fun and your players are having fun and you're keeping it vaguely consistent mm-hmm. does not matter the, the <laughs> rules are there to facilitate your game but no one is going to like no one from wizard of the coast is going to come in and say like no nah, you're doing it wrong you cancel the game the game's off right they're not going to like revoke my uh dm status right and and i think uh, that's a good place for our next question is mm-hmm. Why did you want to try DMing? Like what, what got you interested in kind of taking that mantle up? I think there's a couple of things. The first was that watching you do it, it just looks fun. And like, you have such a good time doing it. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I want to try this. Like that looks like a lot of fun. And then I think also that I, I do really enjoy storytelling and crafting like characters and an environment and a plot and, and uh, coming up with like a world is very cool for me. And then <laughs> as you know, very well, I love doing weird voices and you are very good at voices. <laughs> and I, I am very bad at voices and I, I kind of, I give it my best shot. No, I you're do okay. good at it. I do. Okay. And then you you're know, much I, better at Scottish than I am. I cannot, I don't know where you're getting that idea. <laughs> I cannot do a Scottish accent. I, I really rough fake my way through a vague Irish brogue, kind of. <laughs> but then like, like I'm around the house and I, I hear her, you know, rocking like her Reba McIntyre. And I'm just like, hell yeah, Reba. <laughs> but so it's yeah, it's a thing that like my sisters and I always did. And I did with like friends and, and people of just like being weird together. And uh, you don't really have an outlet for like, I'm not an actor and I don't do comedy and I don't. So like, I don't have mm-hmm. an outlet for these weird voices outside of like, outside of just being in the apartment and yeah, doing just like talking to you and to the cats and stuff. And so I think it would be really, f- I would think I will have a lot of fun playing a bunch of parts and getting to be a whole bunch of different NPCs instead of just one player. Totally. So as we start preparing for first game, before we kind of jump in and start like the nitty gritty of prep, Mm -hmm. I want to preface by 
asking you, what are you most worried? About? Like, what, what are your worries going into this preparation process into like actually running your first game? What do you, what fears are you kind of coming up against? And, you know, how have these kind of like maybe stopped you from trying this before? Like, what, what do you think are your biggest hurdles as we go into this process? Um, I think the two biggest things that I'm nervous about are, uh, touching on what we were talking about before of like, I recognize that it is impossible for me to be fully prepared to know everything, to, uh, be super well-versed and quick on my feet when it comes to every spell or character, character trait. Um, but I am worried that, that there's going to be too much, uh, waiting time that like if somebody makes a move or says, I want to do this spell or is doing something and I have to look up, what does that actually mean or entail and process in my head that Mm -hmm. the delay time, it's like, if you are, if I'm worried that if I do that too often or that I'm too delayed in trying to process what I'm reading, that it basically slows the game down. And then it's just not as much fun because it's a lot of wait time. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a thing where it's like, I recognize I can't know everything, but I'm nervous about uh, being too slow on my feet, I guess. Sure. And then I guess I'm really worried about or, or intrigued about and feel like it would be really good to practice the balance between guiding your players and letting them guide you mm-hmm. and not wanting to get too derailed. And and not lead anybody in the right direction, but also don't want to be super rigid. So figuring out that balance between saying, like, I have plans for you guys and I need to get you there. And also saying, I don't know, you guys do you. What do you want? What do you want to do? You want to go chase that goat into the desert? Sure. Do it. See what happens. Right. <laughs> and I mean, that is the classic argument of, you know, railroaded campaign versus sandbox campaign. How much should your players, you know. How much agency should they have if you're trying to keep them on this storyline? I'll tell you two tenets that I I always Mm -hmm. keep in my head when I'm DMing. One, I think I've correctly predicted what my players were going to do in a given situation about 1% of the time. It, I never get it right. All my prep goes out the window very quickly. I do think we take a special amount of pleasure as well in like after sessions, after we've like finished the game for the day, being like, Brian, did you, did you think that we were going to jump in that portal to hell? And you're like, no, I didn't consider that that was even a possibility for you to do it. Yeah. Stuff. I remember, I remember in my, in uh, the home game that we are in together, there was a, they were in like a. A mount like a mountain tunnel or something and this portal opened up to hell and like a bunch of devils dropped jumped out and they started fighting and then midway through the battle they asked me is the portal still open i was like oh yeah totally and they said can we go in the portal <laughs> and it had truly never crossed my mind that they could enter the portal and i i they didn't go and i think it's partially because they saw the look on my face of oh no <laughs> There's a portal. I gave them a fun door and I didn't think they were like, going to go through we're it. Of course we're going to go through the fun door. I think realistically it came down to I really wanted to go in the door. And uh, I think it was Sage, maybe. It, it was Noah. Noah was very like anti-devil. Yeah, it was like, it's literal hell. Like, no, I was really freaked out by it. And I was like, guys, it'll be so much fun. We're really going to throw Brian for a loop. <laughs> And even still, like they didn't throw me for that loop, but they did throw me for a whole bunch of other ones. So you're never going to be prepared. But that kind of leads to my second point. There's a a quote from Dwight Eisenhower that I think is the best summary of what a DM needs and should do. 
and it is plans are worthless, but planning is essential. Okay. And I think that is the most true thing of like the prep that I do for 20 sided podcasts for my home games and for like in my job as an AD, you know, in my life for other things, you plan and you plan to make sure you are prepared, but throw those plans out the window. The second you say roll initiative or the second you say last mm-hmm. time on the 20 sided podcast. Yeah. But by setting yourself up for success, by knowing who the possible characters are, where the possible things are and what kind of the motivation of the world is. Then when your players decide to turn left instead of right, you know enough of the machinations of the world to understand how that would affect your plan. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we're there, let's uh, get into it. We did a session zero uh, with our players and they had some ideas about like what kind of genre they wanted to build. Uh, So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what the game is going to be. Uh, We're going to be building a one shot. One shots are the hardest thing to build because there's nothing more difficult than ending something. Look at most TV shows that have been on more than five seasons. It's very easy to start something and keep it going. It's very hard to end it and in a concise time. So Mm -hmm. we're really giving you a lot to work with here. Yeah. But tell us uh, what kind of session we're going to be running. Yeah. So we decided uh, that we're going to do a sort of Western inspired Mm -hmm. cowboys. And and, uh, so in that instance, it's going to be it's going to take place in the relinquished territories. Mm -hmm. Big desert. Got ourselves a gang that have yet to come up with a name, I believe. I told everybody, you guys go come up with the name of your gang. Uh, right now, I just have gang of good guys. <laughs> but I don't think that was going to stay. So it's going to be you playing. Yep. Uh, my friend Naka and uh, Kevin, who was in season one. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lauren, who has been on Cannon Fodder. Yep. And so... Lauren said she really wanted puzzles. Everybody else was like, we like puzzles. We're down with puzzling. Mm-hmm. We want it. I want to try to fit in. And we've talked about this, like a little bit of, of sort of social interaction, a battle uh, or some kind of fight. I want them to, I want to train to be involved because I feel like it's a trope of the genre and I want to fit it in there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we've, oh, and then oh, we were thinking it was going to be like a gold rush or kind of a search for something that there's like a, something you're trying to go and obtain or you're trying to beat another group to go to it or something like that. And uh, everyone had expressed interest in when given the options between like levels of lethality. Is it like Game of Thrones where literally no one is safe or is it like soap operas where you can die a violent death on screen and it means nothing? You can come back two seconds later as your identical twin brother who's been lost for like seven years. People were leaning towards Game of Thrones, which I think is for a one shot. It doesn't actually make that much of a difference, I, I think. Correct me no, if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think you're, I think, you know, going into a one shot, especially because you're only going to be playing this character one time, you won't be as attached to them as you are like a, a character that you play for 100 sessions. So the idea of like a meat grinder or of a, right. a session where yeah, this guy might go out and blaze a glory at the end of the one shot is kind of fun. It's easier to push yourself closer to the edge, mm-hmm. whereas when you're in a long running campaign, you grow attached to that character. And like if in session three, after, you know they've gotten a dog and they've met their sister and stuff. (laughs) All of a sudden they're like about to die. You might not make that extra punch towards, you know, the demon that's threatening you. I also think that from a DMing perspective that I, it makes me feel like the gloves can come off. I can do whatever, like I can throw whatever I kind of want at them and I don't have to be worried 
about like accidentally <laughs> killing them. Or for instance, like if I picked a monster and picked a challenge that did end up being way too hard mm-hmm. and killed everybody or killed most people or just proved to be a greater challenge than they could surmount that because it's a one shot and because everybody was like, yeah, we kind of going into this. I'm like, okay, that wasn't great. But also nobody was expecting to play this character for another 10 sessions. Mm -hmm. And so it is a little bit of pressure off in that sense. And I feel like it's going to allow me to make some bigger swings. I will say with, so I had, and I I talked about this on episode of Cannon Fodder to date as of recording this, I've never killed a character. I've never had a PC but death. But he's trying, friends. I, I've gotten really close. I got really close in uh, episode three, season two of 20-sided podcast. Yeah. Noah was one roll away. And I truly, and you know, kind of keeping in that idea of your players will throw you stuff. I had no idea what would happen if he died. Like, I didn't know what the new character was going to be. We were just going to like, <laughs> whatever happens, we're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. With character death, though, I think one thing that is important is making sure that the tone of something has been established. So if you are uh, in a combat that is clearly has been prefaced to be like an epic combat, like this is, you know, the battle with your rival, this is the final showdown or whatever. Mm -hmm. When like the threat of death has kind of been set, dying in an encounter like that, where there are stakes, where there's a feeling of like epicness, there's a feeling of like trying to overcome something great. A character death there is more, is more palatable to a player mm-hmm. because they like the tone, the expectations have been properly set. The tone has been properly set and they know that like they might not come out of this. If you go into a battle with a random zombie and they happen to crit three times and kill your character, that's very unsatisfying. Right. It's super frustrating as a player. I feel like I've done enough in our home game, have had enough instances where things felt, yeah, just sort of like, God, this is how it's going to go. And we always pulled it out and it was fine. And like we, we were able to get where we needed to go. But yes, there I intimately know that feeling of like, shit, there's literally this is how I'm going to go out at this stupid battle. That Like, of course, all of them matter and all of them are leading somewhere. But it's not the same as you're saying as me coming up against my arch rival who I set huge backstory with. It's like, nah, it's just right. some, some guys you meet on the road who are dicks. Really? Yeah. When looking towards character death, you just got to make sure that it is narratively satisfying for that character to die. If it feels random and if it feels unearned, kind of, that's where there's a, there's a frustration, I think, for players. Totally. So we've talked a little about player character death. We're going to be playing level three characters, so fairly low level, mm-hmm. but still like everyone's kind of got their first subclass feature. Everyone's got some stuff they can do. And D&D 5e is really characters outside of like first level are remarkably resilient. Like de- the, the death saving throw system makes it so it's fairly difficult to kill characters unless mm-hmm. a encounter is like willfully unbalanced, mm-hmm. uh, which is OK. And even in that case it is still kind of difficult to kill characters because there's so many death. There's so many like stop get measures before they die. Right. So it's not a thing you have to worry about too much, uh, but it's a thing you should always like keep in mind that if you're approaching one of those points, make sure that it's satisfying or give the players like a nice out to get out of it or, you know, raise the stakes that it becomes satisfying. Right. Okay. So we we talked a moment ago, you listed a bunch of uh, specifics that your players had given you. They Uh wanted to do puzzles. They wanted to be a Western. They wanted to do this, do that. I think the number one, most important, easiest way to set yourself up for success is ask your players what they want to play. Right. (laughs) A, because like 
if they if they know what they want to play, then they're already invested. They've already helped create the world. They've said, oh, I want to be a cowboy. And now they're playing a cowboy adventure. They're like, oh, I, I got to pick that toy. I didn't give it. I wasn't given a toy. I chose a toy. It's a very cute way to put it. Yeah. I like it. I'm very cute. <laughs> um, and also so humble. And so, so humble. <laughs> um, but also it, it helps you out more than that because it's essentially like joining a writer's room for a little bit. A bunch of people that you, if you're playing with your friends, obviously people that you like and you trust are hopefully if, if you're in that scenario, they're giving you ideas and they're throwing stuff at you and you can take what you like from that and what they're excited about. And those are just little points of inspiration stuff. You have to work a little bit less. Right. Which is a great blessing. You know, it's a great little boon that your players give you these little seeds of ideas that then can you can start sprouting and conjoining and bringing them together to make a campaign for them that they don't even at a certain point, they kind of don't even realize they built yeah. uh, because you just flesh it out in little ways. And all of a sudden, if you trace those little the whole tree back to the seed, it's oh, it's the thing that Kevin said. Oh, it's the thing that Naka wanted. Right. Well, it was a thing in our session zero or our character creation meeting kind of uh, and talking about the things that they wanted and the ideas that they had once we had started to get into the idea, okay, it's a Western and you guys are a gang and people started to develop their characters and think about their race and their class and what their sort of role within this gang was. It was just kind of hilarious listening to everybody <laughs> get excited and talk about like, yeah. And then he could like do this. And then, yeah, like she totally like do this sort of thing. And it's like, we haven't even gotten into it, but everyone has these narratives in their head about like what they want their character to do. Or like, you know, it's like daydreaming in a way. And uh, it made me a little nervous at first of being like, no, but like I'm in control. I, I, I'm the DM, but it's like, no, it is, as you're saying, great ideas and, and a way to build it all together. And realistically, like I'm doing it for them. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I'm the DM. I'm in control in a sense, but not really. It's all of us. There, there is something to be said on both sides of that, because one, it is important to remember that as a DM, yes, you're building this thing for your friends. Yes, you are kind of this separate role, but you're still a player. Right. There shouldn't be necessarily a dichotomy. There's just one person that is adjudicating the rules and acting as more people than everyone else. But there's still a player at the table and their, their voice should still be heard. So when you're building something for your friends, if everyone is saying something that you have no interest in playing, if everyone wants to play a space Western and you really want to play high fantasy and aren't that interested in, you know, this space idea, speak up, say that, like, let them know because everyone's voice should be heard in this. And ultimately, if you are met with a group that wants to do one thing and you want to do another, maybe that's not the group for you. Um, right. And I know for some people, it's very hard to find a group. So maybe you kind of like stick it out because you want to play. But if you find a group that doesn't jive with what you want to do, it's OK to try to find another group right. uh, or or at least make your voice heard and say like, hey, guys, I don't you know, I'm really feeling more of this. This is kind of out of my wheelhouse or out of my interest level. What do you guys think about this? And kind of, you know, try to mesh some ideas. Well, it's making me think of for um, season two of 20 Side podcast. Noah loves like creepy horror movies, that whole genre of like. It's so not my, my thing. <laughs> I, I hate scary movies, hate creepy shit, hate horror. It's just not my vibe. And I know it was the thing that he was like excited about. I think the way that the season is coming together so far is such a phenomenal 
blend of like, yeah, it's creepy as fuck. And I feel like Noah is getting a lot of things from like genres that he talked about and suggested, but also like, you know, that I don't want to just straight up do like a horror movie. And so you're you're a scaredy cat. I am 100, 100%. I'm scared of everything. <laughs> but, but ultimately, if someone comes to me and says, I want to do horror and a bunch of other people say, I don't want to do horror, like I'm scared of horror. What you do is you like temper the edges of horror and give eerie. Right. And I'm absolutely loving that. Like every session, there's times where like, yeah, I'm super creeped out and it's like scary and stuff. But like for me, Noah's probably fine. No, even he right. is like having reactions to stuff. But yes, it's like tempered down to the scariest cats. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Expectations. Yeah. Me. Yeah. So you have this idea of this Western that your players gave you. That's, you know, the, the seed that they've given you. You have some ideas of your own, this like train aspect. You want to have a, you know, they're looking for something. And generally for a one shot, you want to have kind of one goal in mind. You know, Hitchcock's idea of the MacGuffin, the thing you're mm-hmm. chasing. Uh, or the the person you're trying to beat in a, in a one shot in like a four hour, a three or four hour session, you're only going to have time for a couple of scenes, really. So usually that means like a setup scene that kind of introduces everyone, a social encounter, maybe a puzzle and a fight. One, one thing to consider when you're making a one shot, don't plan on a ton of stuff. Try to make it very, very simple, because even in that simplicity, you're going to find a lot of fun tangents and things. Just because something is simple and is only one or two steps does not mean it's not fun. And also, you know, for every session I think I've ever, or probably I think I've gotten a little better of it now in the same way that I've never properly predicted what my players will do. I've never properly predicted how much content we'll get through. I always plan for what I think is two or four hours of content, however long we're planning to play. And I end up planning for like double or triple that. Right. Not because I'm, not because I'm planning a lot, but because we get to so much less than I anticipate. (laughs) Because you find the fun tavern keeper who has a secret that he won't tell you unless you roll a 20 and keeps asking you to buy drinks and stuff. And it just gets harder and harder to get the secret out. And that becomes the game of the episode. Right. Or of the, the session. So on that note, what do you want the like main goal of this session to be? I'm unsure exactly where I want. The way I was approaching this mm-hmm. was that I have an idea of like how and where to begin of basically how to introduce our characters, how they know each other and how to kind of introduce what the let's call it end goal is. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what I want that end goal to be. And the way that I'm thinking about this is sort of that those are the two points that I think are best to start with, because then it's like, all right, I know where everybody is. I know how they're meeting each other or figuring out what their goal is. And I know what the goal is. And then it's just a matter of figuring out how we get there. And that is also the part that I feel like is, can be super flexible of like, if you give an option, you're like, there's a road and you can take a horse and it's going to take you three days. Or there's a train that goes in half the time, but it's also leaving in three minutes and you are going to have to race to go catch it or something. Like you give people the options and they are going to pick one or the other. And so your plans may just change in that regard anyway. Right. The middle is where I, I think the most flexibility on part of, on the part of the DM. And I definitely think the more you have finalized what you think the ending will be, as I said before, there's a very solid chance that is not the ending that <laughs> comes out. But at least if you know what the characters are searching for, what that like 
what the final room of the dungeon looks like, what the big bad boss is planning, what the curse of the gem is, then no matter how your characters come at it, you know what will happen. Mm-hmm. Or at least you have a pretty good idea. So let's actually start with, and this is uh, another thing we talked about. We kind of discussed our characters on this character creation session. And there is a, an important thing to, in the same way that you should always discuss with your players what they want to play, the other important thing is to make them integral to that story. Mm-hmm. So in this story, it's a Western and we're trying to do something. We don't quite know yet. We're trying to maybe steal something or kill someone or find something. We're a posse. We're already integral to that story. And this is the thing I, the thing I think I failed at a little bit in the first season of 20-Sided Podcast, where we had a Poseidon adventure adventure and all of the characters were kind of ancillary. Like they weren't the twin queens. They weren't mm-hmm. the captain. They weren't, they weren't integral to the boat. They kind of were bystanders in this thing, which I think was a error on my part. But I think you've done a great service to yourself because not only are your characters integral to the story, they will be driving the story because they're like right in it. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge help to you as a DM. So where do you think, you, you said you have a pretty good idea of this start, like how they meet, what their kind of initial burst is. What do you think that's going to be? My thought was being a Western, that we're going to start in like a small dust bowl town sort of a place. And then had one of two sort of ideas of the first one was to have it be that uh, Kevin, Naka and Lauren are a crew. Mm-hmm. They come on into a bar and that's where they meet your character who we've talked a little bit about being a sort of combo (laughs) bartender, doctor, Uh, that character from a Western. We were calling him Doc. Yeah, I haven't I haven't come up with a name. So I'm just defaulting to Doc. Yeah. But that yeah, that character in every Western that's like the portly guy with a handlebar mustache like you don't he's either a bartender or the doctor or you know the saloon he's like the voice of reason and everybody trusts him even like the good guys the bad guys every you know he's just sort of the the standard i'm actually thinking of um we just saw the new west side story and this character is a little different in the new one but in the original doc again Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's like an anchor and and a safe retreat back to people. But anyway, so, so having them meet your character and then you sharing some information with them about either a treasure to be had, a rival gang that's going off to do something interesting that like there's, there's some prize to be had and uh, they decide, you know, they're going to go after it. It appeals. I will build it in such a way that it appeals to them. And then you decide to join in as a way to kind of introduce like you get they get to introduce themselves to you and you get to introduce yourself to them and Mm -hmm. therefore the listener also gets to like be introduced but we also could make it as like you guys are just a posse and you're already part of the group there is something to be said for that though of a unequal amount of information given to players Mm -hmm. and and characters as well is often a fun place to start because especially when you have you know either a long winning campaign or a one-shot if different characters have different information, different levels of information, then not only are you giving out reveals as NPCs and like bad guys, you know, saying their bad guy monologue, your players are delivering little nuggets of information that the other characters didn't know. So a, a discrepancy of information is often a fun place to go. And you can kind of chat with your characters beforehand and giving your character like a secret that only they know that they can whip out like it's a fucking special weapon that you've given them. <laughs> is super fun. I've, I've done it, it on multiple fun. occasions 
And it's something that they get to hold on to until they get to feel coolest using it and then whip it out. And like the other characters go, oh, you had this. Oh, wow. You you do this (laughs) thing. Why didn't you tell me? And then it it just initiates so much stuff. So it's often a very fun way to start. So I really like that starting idea. Yeah. On that note, I have a question about character having a sort of a secret that is pretty specific to this. But so Kevin had reached out and he had an idea that he also told me, I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is, but he has told me that he has pitched you this in the past. (laughs) Oh, no. Anyway, I don't don't know if I remember. He had an idea for like a character trait. And basically, I I think he want because especially because he like mentioned it only to me that he wants it to be like a secret that then Mm -hmm. gets revealed. And it is a thing that I love it. I think it's clever and hilarious and fun. I, especially in a one-off, am concerned about stressing myself over trying to find a way to make it fit, like a reveal. Like that's now an additional thing that I need to plan for. If we were going to keep playing forever, it's like, yeah, there's definitely a way I could work this in Mm -hmm. somewhere. But now it's like, and I want to, I'm not like stressed about it, but it is a thing where it's like, okay, I want to make sure they have a social interaction. I want to make sure they have a puzzle. I want to make sure that Kevin gets to have his reveal. And it, this is a specific instance in which the character trait is like, it's It's a very fun puzzle for me to have to figure out how on earth this information would become relevant at any point in time. Gotcha. So so to give stakes to that request. Yes. Tough. And I want to honor it, but I'm wondering if you have thoughts on when a player either has requests or has ideas or has things and it's trying to, it's making me think of times that we've done things. And I, you know, I've been like, can my player do this insane move? And knowing when to say like, yeah, roll an at 20 and I'll let you do it. Or roll high enough and I'll let you do it versus being like, there is literally no universe in which I can allow this to happen. So so this actually gets to a pretty good like thesis of the way I think about D&D is there is the rule of cool, which is if it's something cool, let your players try it or let it work because it's cool and it'll be fun. Uh, like it's more, no one's going to have fun by like playing all the rules right. They will have fun by doing something fucking cool. And if that's within the rules, great. If it's not, that's okay. They're only guidelines. But the other one is always let your players try. Even if it's, if they say something absolute, if they say that that will truly break the break immersion in the game. Like if Kevin said like, I want my guy to be able to jump 50 stories. It's like, well, even if you roll an at 20, you'll jump really high and you'll look really cool. You're not going to jump 50 stories without magic. It would break immersion. And it's actually not what he wants. He wants the feeling of that. But if you actually gave it to him, it would be a disappointment because it, it breaks the world. As far as player requests, I say as long as something doesn't either break immersion for other players or take away agency from other players, I think it's an okay request to consider. The difficulty with one shots is that there's only so much real estate to play with. You have only so many minutes and, you know, especially, especially, I mean, you've got a little, uh, I'm putting, I'm making it very tough on you because not only are you doing a one shot, which is like much tougher than a normal session. You're also doing it recorded. We have like a vague <laughs> idea of a time restriction, you know, so you have a couple more limitations on you. Really, the, I think the only solution to that is whatever the secret is, if there is like a way to manufacture that reveal, play for it. See if you can make it work. If it's something that is just better served to a character that's played out over many sessions, mm-hmm. maybe this just isn't the right 
time to use it. And maybe that's just something to, to like text Kevin and be like, Hey, this is really cool. I really want to do it. I don't think I can make it satisfying. That's kind of what I figured was that I was going to really think on, is there a fun and interesting way in which I can build this reveal that doesn't, that actually feels like it is part of their story. That isn't just like a, let's throw this bit in there because it's funny And I have to force a situation that is unrelated to anything else in order to get this reveal. And that if I cannot come up with something that, because I also think it's a fun thing. Yeah. Like to, and also Kevin's just great. So I feel like if I texted him and I was like, I tried really hard. And also like, if you have any ideas, I'm happy to like hear them. But I think that this is an idea that you should hold on to for another campaign because I'm not going to, do it justice and I'm not going to do it in a way that is satisfactory. And like, if this is an idea that he's so excited about and loves, I don't want to half-ass it, you know? Right. Cause ultimately when you have one of those like gems of an idea for a character, it's not fun if it just happens. It, it's same with a player character death. It only is fun if it happens in a satisfying way, if it feels earned. In our home game, your character in your backstory description that we made two years ago you mentioned you had a sister right. who like disappeared 800 years ago because you're an ancient elf. <laughs> and it took 60 sessions for that sister to ever get mentioned. But when it got mentioned, it was a bombshell, epic, eyes right. alight thing. It was incredibly satisfying. It's tough to do those with one-shot characters. And I think that's something maybe we should have stressed more in our session zero is you know, I, I played in a, a one shot. It was uh, run by my buddy Sebastian, Pat Wise and Nathan Yaffe with the other two players. They're both they've both been on a cannon fodder episodes at this point. And both of them came up with very good one shot characters like Nathan. His character was a like club owner and his goal was to like promote his club. <laughs> and so you can just make jokes about that all the time. Whereas I made this like tortle character who was like trying to find the lost book to his like order or something. And that's not something you can satisfyingly do in a one shot. Like that was a disservice I did to Sebastian as a DM, uh-huh. who was also a first time DM. So it is a thing to ask your players to think about like, hey, you're only going to play this character one time, assuming this is a one shot. And maybe this, you know, is a session that expands into a campaign. And maybe that's a thing to think about. But when it's definitely going to be a one shot, make sure that you're building a character and make sure you're telling your character, your players to build a character that can be fully expressed in one episode. Yeah, yeah. That has essentially in the same way that you're building out one or two encounters, they should build out basically like one reveal for their character. Their character has to kind of be one thing. Mm-hmm. And it may seem limiting, but really if you write 20 pages of backstory about like all the different narrative webs of your character for one four hour session, you're not going to get to see most of those. Right. And if, if, it's, if it's satisfying for that player to write out 20 pages of backstory great do it like there's nothing against that but it's impossible to expect your dm to then satisfy all of those webs that you've weaved as well as the webs that all of the other player characters weave Mm -hmm. so if if you stress your players to pick like one or two things then you can really bam punch those things hard yeah so if nako wants to do wants to be a cowboy and wants to do the western thing great give him a gun battle give him spurs give him a horse to ride Boom, 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 Western, 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 satisfied, satisfied, <laughs> satisfied customer. Right. 
which is, I think, very much what Naka wants. Naka wants to be the cowboy. He wants to have like a shootout duel. And uh, I think that he's really excited about about the, just the aspect of playing in a Western. And uh, with Kevin's thing, it is not quite so like deep as as your turtle searching for or, like my character searching for a long lost sister or something mm-hmm. where it's absolutely a thing that I'm sure there is a way to put it in here. I'm going to try, but we will see how it goes. And and it is also nice just sort of knowing that that you can reach out to a player and be like, I, I'm, I tried, <laughs> but uh, this just did not come together in a way that I think either of us are going to be happy with. So I definitely want to put a pin in this one and tune into episode two, see if this thing comes out. This is an un- unintended fun through line. <laughs> a puzzle for the listener. A puzzle as for well. the listener as well as for the characters. See if you notice this through line. And in episode three, we'll kind of talk about what the end of this was. Like, did you talk to Kevin? Did we play it out? What happened? We'll see kind of what went right, what went wrong in that area. Cool. Choosing genre really helps a DM. So we've chosen Western. Any genre is filled with tropes, which are great. Like, they're tropes for a reason. They are popular things. You know, every... Clint Eastwood Western has a shootout, has the good guy gets knocked down. He has a buddy. The buddy maybe gets killed and there's a shootout at the end. Mm-hmm. So luckily, you, you know, we've chosen this Western. There are a lot of tropes to choose from. It does also kind of fall to you to include enough of those tropes to make it feel Western. Like right. if, if we do a Western and Nara gun was seen, no spurs, <laughs> no shootout, no train. And we what just kind of walk. the... Um- tumbleweeds is that what they yeah. are if, if there's if, a western you don't without see a tumbleweed, single tumbleweed it's not a western exactly um, <laughs> if someone doesn't have a beloved horse it's not a western exactly so you you kind of know where you're going to start you're going to probably for better or for worse we're going to start in a tavern which is like the classic D right. starting point but first off i have nothing against starting in a tavern i think it's great it just makes sense <laughs> everyone likes to drink it's a fun place to hear information Honestly, if you're hanging out with your buds in real life, where are you going? You're probably going to a bar and there's so much fun to be had there, but it even falls better into this genre because a tavern, a saloon is so prominent in the genre. So it already, not only is it convenient for you as a DM, it's convenient for you in the genre that we've chosen together. Right. So we have a starting point and the next thing we kind of need is a, uh, we need like a plot hook, a thing that they want or a thing that they're trying to get. Right. And also kind of on top of that, we need a reason for them to want it. There's a game designer that I particularly like. Uh, her name is Kelsey Dion, goes under the, the title of the Arcane Library. If you haven't seen her, look her up. She does great, really, really great module designs. They're very simple to follow. All of the encounters are on like one page. She has very simple but well-designed notes. Reading her uh, modules can teach you a lot about how you should prepare a session notes. I use them as an example for what I prepare. Simple but effective. One of the things that she does that I particularly love is that all of her module designs have two or three entry points. And they're called like the call to heroism, the call to reward, the call to discovery. Mm -hmm. So rather than just saying, you got to get this gem, you're going to get 10,000 gold if you get the gem. Some characters may not be motivated by just a monetary reward. Some of them might need some other entry point for their character. So by giving them, say we're trying to get a gem. One character wants the money. You get the gem, you get 10,000 gold. But not only that, the gem is, has a weird mystical power. One character is interested in mystical powers in the arcane, wants to get the gem to discover what it does. 
The other character is, you know, a paladin, lawful good. That gem was stolen from a farmer that was their entire life savings. They want to get the gem to do this heroic deed. By giving it these like multiple threads that people can choose, it's a lot easier for them to get into this world because they're not trying to force a character that they've built to take like a single path, a single thread of like meaning of how to get into the adventure. Uh, I feel like that's a really useful way to think about this because I have, I don't know, in trying to come up with a sort of final goal or destination or prize, I, yes, was, I guess, kind of trying to come up with a thing where I'm like, what would appeal to the whole group? And it's like, yes, you want to come up with something that appeals to the whole group, but you can come up with something that appeals for multiple reasons. Exactly. Yeah. I think that that is a really handy way to think about that. As we start figuring this out, let's, let's talk about tropes of a Western. Cause I think this is probably where you should start, especially if we've picked Western. It's something that is so trope heavy. You know, there is the trope of the, the bank robbery or the train robbery. You know, maybe we're trying to rob something. Are we, you know, bad guys trying to do, do a robbery? If, if we are, maybe there's a, a different posse, like a competitive posse that is trying to get there before we do. So now not only do we have a goal, but we're trying to beat someone else. So then some characters are motivated by the rewards. Some are motivated by the, the competition. Some are motivated by getting revenge on this other posse who did a bad thing to them. Could be a, we're in town, the outlaw walks into town and starts, you know, blowing up things and stuff. And now we've got to... There's a bounty on this outlaw's head. We got to catch him. Mm -hmm. And then there's multiple entry points in that. One is reward. You catch the outlaw, you get the money. One is heroism. This outlaw done bad things. We got to catch him. And then discovery. This outlaw did bad things, but weird bad things. Like he only destroyed this building and it in a weird way. Why and how? Let me figure out what's going on with this outlaw. Little Jimmy fell down a well and we got to go down (laughs) the well. Poor little Jimmy. His mom's freaking out, but down the well, there'd be monsters. Okay. That could be a weird spin. Where do you think, are any of those speaking to you or any ideas kind of coming out to you that you think you'd want to run? Yeah. So it was a thing that someone had, it actually might've been you, joked about in our session zero of like, you guys are our gang. And I told you to like, come up with a name for your gang. And then we were sort of laughing about what if they're, testing out a bunch of different names because like they haven't actually really made it big yet. Like people don't actually really know who they are outside Mm -hmm. of this like small town. And so it was a motivation that I was thinking of, of like, there is some goal and one of the points of motivation or points of entry is them being like, this is a big deal. If we can go and do this, it's like, it's like a band. I'm honestly thinking of them as like making the band. If they can go and do this thing, everybody's going to know who they are now. And it's like their big break. And I think that that is hilarious. Uh, And it's the idea of like, (laughs) I feel like I've seen this before and I can't think of a specific example, but yeah, it's like the bank robber who, when they're leaving is like, and when the people ask, you tell them all it was Slimmy Boy Jim or something. Like, you know, right, <laughs> gives right, right. it like tell, tell, you know, you want your reputation to be. You want it to precede you. Yes. Which I also think is a Western trope. Um, and so I love the idea of you guys wanting to build a reputation for better or for worse that precedes you. You want people to talk about the good guy gang for lack of a better name at the moment. Um, right. And so that was a motivation. I will say 
this has worked extremely well for me in the past. One of my original home games was Sebastian, Nathan, and Pat. And we played through Tomb of Annihilation, which at the end you like saved the world from this death, you know, spoilers for Tomb of Annihilation. You save the world from this death curse and uh, defeat an evil lich. And we wanted to keep playing. So I wrote kind of like a coda, like uh, an afterword for that. And Sebastian's character loved like proclaiming all the deeds they did and like getting reward from that. He was a bard. He loved talking. And so what I did was I sent them through like an accidental time portal. They jumped forward like 20 years in the future. They go back to Port Nianzara where they started and are like, hey, guys, we saved the world. But someone else had already claimed credit. I forgot that this was the thing. Yes. And it's hilarious because Sebastian himself is similar to his character in that way and was like, personally on a very real level offended (laughs) and it was but it was a great entry because not only is there like a discovery like who is this person there is a deep want of vengeance like have the notoriety and it is a thing like those characters went through a whole fucking lot to they went through a whole crazy dungeon to like beat this thing what they want kind of at the end of that is credit like you want like not only do you want the success you want the credit for it and by not giving that to them to make them work that little bit harder that was probably the funnest part of our campaign right and that is a a thing for you to remember going in from our session zero the players like want to be a cool posse if you withhold that from them (laughs) for a little bit what they don't realize what they want isn't actually what they want they want these since they want the feeling of becoming a cool posse they want to feel that reward if they start as a cool posse, then it's just like, it's something they take for granted. And actually, this happened really well in the first season of Dimension 20, in like the first episode. Fabian Seacaster is like, you know, the jock, the quarterback. He goes for the foot, the blood rush tryouts, does everything amazingly, thinks he's on the team, and the coach says, hit the showers. And not only was Fabian surprised, the character, but Lou Wilson, the player, was surprised because he was like, what, you're not going to give this right, He's to like, me? I built this whole character to be a jock. And now you're not letting me jock. Like, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. And then that started like a lot of great moments for him because now he had to earn it. Like, you're not just giving it to them because if you just give your players things, it's not set. It's not actually what they want. They may say they want it. I promise you they don't. They want to work for it. You they wanna want get, to earn it. You want. Yeah, it's the journey, not the destination, as they say. But yes, it very much is. <laughs> it's, yeah. You want to go towards it. But uh, once you get there, it's like, oh, OK, now what? You're on to, you know, the next thing. It's funny because as we're talking about this, I feel like I'm coming up with a a very like the narrative is becoming a lot more clear in my head. And I, I have no I keep coming back to this idea of like, oh, wouldn't that be cool? And like, what if they did this? And it's like. Maybe they'll choose, maybe they will turn left 1,000 times and they will never go down like this sort of plan or idea that I have that might be fun, but it's uh, coming together a little more clearly, I think, in my head. There is a, a little secret that I'll kind of let you in on. What we're doing now is kind of building a house. Uh-huh. You know, we're building a palace in our minds. There are rooms, that, there are hallways you can go down, there are rooms you can enter with encounters. Only you know what is in those rooms. The players don't. They just see a hallway as you describe it. If they enter a door that you know is supposed to be the study, but they're looking for the kitchen, hey, now it's the kitchen. Right. And I'll give you an example on this that's like a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a little bit of a spoiler for the season that we're currently playing, but we just, you guys were looking around at the bar and 
CNA like wanted to know if there were any like weird doors and he rolled a rolled high on an investigation check, found a couple weird doors, saw they were trapped and you entered one and found a secret back entrance. I knew that that back entrance existed somewhere. I didn't know where, but he rolled really well and I wanted to reward that. If right. I, if he rolled a 25 investigation check and he just learns a whole lot about how normal this bar is, <laughs> if he just learns all the posters on the wall, right. that's not satisfying. Where it's but, like we could have been in the town hall or the town square or a f- new friend's apartment and like that that passageway would have existed. It's just a matter of where and when we looked for it and rolled high enough yeah. in a way. Yeah. And, yeah. and and that is a thing to remember, like always reward the dice, like mm-hmm. always satisfy the dice, because if someone rolls a natural one, Give them a penalty for like make that kind of hurt. You you shouldn't do anything that was gonna like really jeopardize a character. I don't really believe in critical fumbles. Like mm-hmm. your character takes damage because you rolled in that one, but make it like they fall prone, they lose their weapon, something like that. When someone rolls really high, even if there's nothing to learn, honor that roll. Give them something, even if it wasn't something you were planning to give in that area, mm-hmm. because it will be sad. Like every time you roll in that twenty, you should feel sad. Like you should get something out of it even if it's not necessarily within the scope of the check you were making. So if someone makes a perception check and they roll an at 20 and there's nothing around, maybe they don't, you tell them they see nothing and you know, there's nothing sneaking up, but they notice a thing on another player's pack that's sticking out. That's like a little secret that character's holding, or they, they have some insight into themselves. Give them just a little something that makes it feel like their character earned this moment. Cause otherwise if the dice stop having that meaning or if something is just un- if you roll a net 20 and you get nothing for it, it's just a bummer. Right. Yeah. You want every like big roll to be rewarded. Let the dice decide a little bit. If they roll a 20 plus roll on investigation check looking for a secret door, there might just now be a secret door there. <laughs> and then, you know, you don't know where it goes, but you'll figure it out by the time they open it. Right. Yeah. It is a thing where I feel like it's it's remembering as well that the DM is sometimes more but uh frequently like maybe two steps ahead one step ahead of the players it's like you are there are absolutely instances in which the dm is yeah just kind of making it up as they go and the players don't necessarily know this because you are like okay i'll do this and then you present it to them and then they have to interact with and digest that information as you prep for like okay now what (laughs) If you want to know what being a DM feels like uh, <laughs> in in like a single gif, it's the the scene in Wallace and Gromit, The Wrong Trousers, where Gromit is riding a little toy train and the track's about to run out. So he grabs a box <laughs> of tracks and starts laying the tracks in yes. front of him. Yeah. The only difference is that somewhere along in the house that he says he's building the tracks, there's a goal that he's had got to hit. And so he's got to keep grabbing the random pieces, <laughs> trying to get them to that goal and eventually hopefully getting there. Maybe not. But, you know, you're kind of always aiming. Towards right. This right. Like goal. the tracks will eventually line up with tracks that you laid in advance. But uh, you're going to take a long winding road to get there and actually may also miss your stop. Like, yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, like if the session ends without getting to the place where you wanted to. That's fine as long as your players like had fun getting there. And that is, a, you know, a big thing to remember going into this. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. Like mm-hmm. that's really kind of the end all be all. If you're having fun, your players are having fun. End of discussion. You have DM'd correctly. <laughs> 
there's really, yeah, there's really not a big bar to entry. You know, right. people think that there are so many things you have to learn there. No one's going to tell you you're ready. I promise you you're ready now. Right. If you have, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably listened to some, like, there's no way this is your first foray into DMing. Where you're like, what is Dungeons and Dragons? Let me listen to this podcast. And honestly, <laughs> for those people, if you're listening to this podcast right now and have never done any D&D stuff, if you watch one episode of Critical, well, that's a big ask. That's four hours. If you watch one <laughs> episode of any D&D podcast or show, you're pretty close to being able to play a game and DM a game. Because ultimately, it's just storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then when, you, when your player meets an obstacle, they roll a die, they add a, a prescient modifier. It was a thing where I feel like when I first started playing and I would tell friends or family, like I'm playing this, literally no one else had ever done it or no one, inc- including myself before I started playing. I had no concept of what Dungeons and Dragons actually was or how it was played. I knew literally nothing. And I felt like I found myself explaining it as, you are doing improv, but sometimes when you say my character does X, you have to roll dice to see whether or not that's true. It's yeah. literally just you and your friends like improving and and digging around with each other. And then sometimes you have to roll dice and sometimes the dice will be like, yeah, girl, you can make that move. And sometimes the dice are like, nah, girl, that ain't going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> is done a bit of a disservice to call it a game because then people think there's an aspect of winning and losing. They see dice and they think, oh, how many spaces do you move? Yeah. It's really a like collaborative storytelling process. Yeah. And and speaking of improv, a good point of reference for you. And, you know, this is a thing that was codified with like UCB and different improv schools. The idea of yes and right. kind of like the main point of like comedic improv training is anything your players give you Agree with unless it breaks immersion or takes away another player's agency, agree with that statement or like allow that statement to exist in the world and then heighten it. Mm-hmm. So I look over and uh, there's a tumbleweed. Yeah, there's a tumbleweed. And not only that, it's moving towards you surprisingly quickly because mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I've created a world and the wor- that world is interacting back with me like, whoa, why is that tumbleweed moving so quickly towards me? <laughs> I don't know. Roll an investigation check. Okay, I rolled it. I got a two. You don't know, but it's coming really fast. Oh, it's way bigger than you thought it was. Oh, it's coming. And it, it might just be a tumbleweed that's blowing the wind weird. It might just hit you in the face. And that's the end of that story. But it was funny. But, but the second a player takes the initiative to like create a portion of the world. Right. Push that into the world because that will bring them deeper in. That'll kind of get their hooks in the world and pull them closer. And then every time you kind of keep pulling them in, they get more and more invests in the world. And also it is a great boon to any DM when players start initiating scenes Mm -hmm. and start like chatting with each other. Cause not only does it give you like a little bit of a break to plan ahead from all the crazy moves that they've made that have fucked up your plan. And now you've got to fix (laughs) it also tells you in the same way that like improv comedy scenes, when audiences are laughing or not laughing, it's a real time barometer of what is working, what isn't and what information they've accurately gotten. So if you're trying to give them like a puzzle and they're talking back and forth to each other and you realize that they've missed a key piece of the puzzle, well, maybe now's the time for an NPC to come in and say like, hey, guys, did you notice the sun's coming up weird? (laughs) I found this other piece of a puzzle. Oh, look, did you notice that that's blue and this one's purple? (laughs) Gee willikers. (laughs) Uh, Gee willikers. The more you can pull your players in with those kind of heightening yes and elements, the more they'll get invested, the more they'll give you back. 
and the easier it becomes for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've talked a lot of theory yeah, and broad things, and I think those are very fine things to talk about. Yes. But we do need to get a little more in depth. I know you've, you feel like you've kind of started gotten, getting the threads of the story and kind of what it looks like. Uh-huh. But I think we need to come up with what the MacGuffin, what the inciting incident, what do you think this is going to be? So I have an idea. Tell me if you think this is too grand. Go for it. You guys are a gang trying to make a name for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're, let's call you like good guy cowboys as opposed to like outlaws. You're welcome in this town. You know, you're, you're kind of helping to keep order, let's say, across the West, the wild, wild West, trying to make a name for yourselves. You uh, learn about a, an outlaw gang who recently overtook like a nearby-ish Dust Bowl city. They've Mm -hmm. overrun it. They're in control now. You know, if you go and get rid of these outlaws, if you can take back this town that, you know, and we can make them a crazy outlaw, you know, where it's like the baddest man in the whole damn town um, sort of thing. Bad, bad, (laughs) Leroy Brown. Baddest man in the whole damn town. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're definitely going to name him Leroy Brown. Um, bad, bad Leroy Brown. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, so anyway, so if you go and you can take back this town that you'll really have made a name for yourself. So an idea, part of the idea here is this motivation of like, like a character like Sebastian's of it's like, you're really trying to get this reputation. You really want to go do this. Mm-hmm. It's also a motivation of like, these are bad guys who are overrunning this town, destroying places. You know, they've, they've kidnapped innocent people, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say there, that there's the moral sort of person who's like, Mm -hmm. no, this is bad and we have to fix it. And I want to throw in a twist that this might be the part that's too much. Okay. Of there is a good guy gang who has a reputation, people know them, you know, they're the Avengers and you are the ragtag game, you know, crew of kids trying to become superheroes. They are also on their way and it's wanting to beat them there to do it. I don't know if that's adding a hair too much to the story. Let me, let me talk about the the initial thing first, then we'll talk about that aspect. Cool. You, You were saying like, let's, let's assume this like good guy gang aspect. I think a good place to start with that is like we roll into town. I don't know, like for, for my reading of the session zero, I don't know if we're going to be like good guys or, or bad guys yet. But the idea of we haven't made our name yet is something you can really use to your advantage mm-hmm. in that we roll into town. We like bust into the saloon either as good guys looking to be like given free drinks or as bad guys looking to be given free drinks because we're intimidating. Mm-hmm. And the saloon owner like me or you know, someone else saying like, well, golly, gee, you know, if we're pretending to be, if we're trying to be good guys, like, oh no, you, these are scary guys. You could play to the opposite of whatever we come in mm-hmm. as in a way that I think would be fun. So if we come in as like trying to be badasses, then we're mistaken for good guys trying to help. And it's like, well, no, we're bad guys. Like, well, no, you look like nice young boys. <laughs> Can't you help me, you know, clear out these other guys out this other town? And then there's an aspect of, we don't have the name we want yet. Mm-hmm. So by doing this task, we can kind of claim it. I think with the multiple crew thing, I think where, where you might get tripped up is mm-hmm. if you have a crew that has grabbed the other town, 
there's a great kind of almost seven samurai aspect where like we're good guys or ragtag bad guys that are going to like save that town. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an inverse seven samurai, but we're going to save that. Yes, town. It, is, to- it is very much an inverse seven, seven yeah. samurai. Yeah. Maybe it's a little more fistful uh, of dollars. Fist, maybe it's a little more fistful of dollars yeah. where we go and we liberate this town from this band of evil guys, which I assume is going to have like a lead, a badass leader, maybe like a plucky sidekick type character. And then a few other like minions. Right. That this is basically uh, defeating them would be like kind of this big battle situation. Mm-hmm. That would be who you'd be fighting in the end. Uh, and yes, would involve the leader of the gang. Yes. A sidekick who has a decently big personality and then yeah, his minions I or her minions or her minions. I think if you then make another posse, it's just a lot of pieces for you to juggle. Okay. Really what I always try to avoid is any chance that I have to play two NPCs that are talking to each other. Yeah. Cause it, and, and now when you're adding in so many characters, not only do you have to keep track of these like personalities and characters and character sheets, you might run into that situation where like this NPC group lands at the town the PCs decide to like wait back and see what they do. And then like, you're kind of running. Now, about. Yeah. You're kind of just playing yourself, but I don't think that's a bad idea. Having this rival gang instead of it, a rival gang, make it a rival one bad guy or one really good guy. Ah, okay. Um, I'm thinking there's an episode of cowboy bebop uh-huh. where, you know, cowboy bebop is like a space Western spike. Spiegel is a space bounty hunter. There's an episode where I forget the character name, but it's, like a real cowboy. It's a guy who rides around on a horse and is overly (laughs) sincere, but is a bounty hunter and Spike and him, butt heads because they're both trying to get the same bounty. And he's like, you know, Spike is kind of, you know, not, not bad, but he's like kind of a bad dude, you know, trying to get stuff. And this is like this, like noble cowboy who like doesn't really know what he's doing type thing. If you then make this character like kind of annoyingly good. Uh-huh. There's nothing your characters will want more than to beat this guy or like You've been annoyingly good in the sense of like not well, what do you mean by good? Do you mean like good as in like a pure heart and moral compass or do you mean good as in like literally no one is a better shot than him? It it could be morally good, but it's whatever our characters are going into town wanting to be. If we want to be the biggest badasses, if we want to be the goodest good guys, this guy gets all the credit for all those things. Okay, cool. So like the jobs that we've done were always on the same date as like a bigger job that he did. (laughs) He is our white whale. He is like, we keep being the opening act for the Beatles. I was about to say he is the magician who was the opening act for the Beatles. There's a great magician named Fred Caps who I absolutely love. And he did this amazing routine on the Johnny Carson show after winning FISM, which is the like international competition of magic. Fantastic routine, beautiful. Unfortunately, it was immediately preceded by <laughs> Ed Sullivan saying, and now the Beatles. Uh, so he has been Aww. entirely forgotten in that performance. He's still remembered as a magician, but that performance has kind of been forgotten a bit. Yeah, you guys are, hey, are that magician and uh, I am crafting the Beatles. Exactly. Except that it's a group and a solo, you know, it's reversed in that sense. And, and but, also, yeah. That gives you so much fun to play with. Like this character could like, so say we're both bad guys. This guy could be like a genuine bad guy and is just like really good. So not only are we trying to beat him to the punch and also beat him, but maybe he's not what we, what he seems. And we know that. Mm. So, you know, we think 
uh, say we're, we're both bad guys. We're trying to be badasses. We see him and we know that he actually has a trust fund and like, <laughs> and like a trust fund kid. It's like Gilderoy Lockhart. Exactly. You know, he's a fraud and he's just, you know, really good at memory spells and fronting this if, whole thing. If you make a villain or like a rival or an adversary, better than the characters yeah make (laughs) make them better than the characters for reasons that are really fucking annoying yeah your characters will earn it exactly yeah and then they'll want to beat him him so much more and that's what you want (laughs) because like there's there's the villain that we want to kill Mm -hmm. and there's the villain that we want to beat And, and also there's there's a fun path where maybe we beat that guy and then he starts like crying because he's never been shot before or something He's only pretended to be shot. These aren't real scars. These were actually from surgery or whatever. <laughs> and then we like take pity on him and let him join the gang. And now he's a buddy. And now right. we're like training him uh-huh. uh, to actually be a badass and not, you know, a fake badass. Either way, it's satisfying. But you've set up a very fun adversary or rival. And not only that, it's way easier for you to manage because it's a, a kind of a one note character and it's only one character sheet to have to worry about it's only one That's creature true. block yes because this is this is making a lot more sense because it was a thing where i was like this is a lot of stuff to keep track of and also it is the kind of thing of like i'm totally fine with it playing out in the sense of like there is this rival who you're trying to beat to the punch and based on choices you guys make maybe you never actually interact with them but it's just like a source of motivation but i think it's a lot easier to build that in if that uh rival becomes a solo individual who again like if you happen to not if it doesn't fit in like that's fine but also it's just a lot easier for me mm-hmm. than to find a way to to make it work and it's it's something you can introduce so easily in that like opening tavern scene like if we walk in trying to be badasses and we say, hey, you heard of us? We're the good guy gang. And everyone goes, who? And we go, you know, <laughs> the, the good guy gang. And they go, oh, are you like friends with Chester Cornfield? This, this crazy right. bad guy. We go, no, not Chester Cornfield. We're, no, we're totally different. We're right. better. <laughs> then, you look like an off-brand Chester. Right. Calling any of the characters an off-brand something <laughs> they want to be. I promise you will work so well for oh, you. I'm excited for this. I, I also did just think of the perfect example for what the, like what the inspiration for your, like the rival character should be. If you're ever trying to build a rival, just think back to ever playing any of the early Pokemon games. <laughs> uh, when you were red and there was blue who always had like his Pokemon was a little bit better. It always evolved before yours. <laughs> yeah, He yeah. was always coming out of the gym when you were going into it. It was just like so fucking annoying. He's right. always one step ahead of you for like no reason. He's just slightly better. And you're like, oh, you're just the worst. That's what makes a great rival. Right. It, and, and you can kind of choose how you want to play it. Like you could have that person come in and like his reputation precedes him, whereas mm-hmm. ours hasn't. So like we're trying to get information from some madam who knows where the village is. Won't tell us. He walks in, gets it like that because she sees the silver plated pistol and knows who he is without him even saying his name. Right. Okay. Or same thing. We get the information and then the madam says, well, but y'all don't even need to worry about it because Chester Cornfield got this information six hours ago. I hear he's already halfway to Memphis. (laughs) And then now not only do we want it more, we have to get there quicker. Yes. That is part of what I wanted this character to be 
was effectively I was thinking of this character as the way to introduce a puzzle in some ways of like they rather than be a battle Mm -hmm. or a fight, which it could be, but is this is the puzzle aspect It's like they, yes, got a head start. How do you get there faster? Or they are also trying to crack open this safe. You know, how do you crack it open first? Or like it, or there's an X on them. You know, you're trying to find the buried treasure and you have clues and they have the same clues, but it's like, how do you interpret them faster? I keep thinking of the challenge on MTV. Uh. <laughs> I, I will say a thing about puzzles. Whenever you're doing puzzles mm-hmm. with a D&D group, pick an easier puzzle than you think. Yeah, yeah. Because your characters will... It, the, the, the problem is never, oh no, what if my characters solve the puzzle too quickly? That will never <laughs> be the problem, I guarantee you. It will always be, oh no, my characters didn't listen to the puzzle correctly or they're, one of them wasn't paying yeah, attention or yeah. they're misunderstood. So with a puzzle, like, you know, a thing to have always in your back pocket, like allow people to make insight checks or perception checks to try to like gain little hints. Yeah. Yeah. As you kind of like build this puzzle idea, but definitely don't, you know, make it, you got to know the astrological signs. and the Oh thing. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh. And, and it is also like, if people are really stumped, you know, let them make an intelligence check to try like the character solves it rather than the player. And that's can still be satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have not only a, where we're we going to start, we have a starting location. We have a plot hook. There's a town that's beset by villains mm-hmm. or something. A town that's beset by something. Mm-hmm. Save the town. We'll give you a reward. Mm-hmm. Maybe the, the, that mayor or whatever, the mayor of town one, offers 50 gold a person mm-hmm. or some fancy item or what the people want. We'll blast your name from the... We'll put you in the town paper or we'll... Yeah, we'll tell them that the good guy gang did it. So there's a reward aspect, Mm -hmm. either monetary or recognition. There is a heroism aspect of save the beset town. Mm -hmm. And there is a kind of a rivalry revenge aspect of beating this other person to Mm -hmm. the punch. And also depending on what this puzzle ends up being, there is kind of a discovery aspect of what, what does this person have? Why do they, how do we solve that? So there's a few different routes that people can get into. So I think that's a really good place. I think we have a really good starting point. Okay, cool. Which is one of the hardest parts. And I think, again, just a thing I should mention with one shots, because you have such a limited time, you know, on the 20 sided podcast, every episode one is kind of a scene for each character. Right. On a one shot, you're a posse, you're in a town, there's a tavern. <laughs> You're in it. The first conversation they have is the quest. Right. Yes. Because you just want to get that ball rolling. And there's nothing bad. And even like if you want, you can start the one shot with them already having gotten the quest. Like, hey, so we open. It's a Dust Bowl town. The mayor's just told you guys that there's a town beset and he's going to give you 50 gold to do it. You're in the you. That conversation just happened. You're in the mayor's office. He's there and he's holding a bag of gold. What do you do? Okay. Yeah. To really lay it out. I know because that is a thing that specifically with a one-off that I am uh, a little nervous about. And like, this is what I was talking about before of making sure that like we stay on track without me feeling like a buzzkill or like I am saying no or guiding things too much. Because yeah, if you're going to do a ongoing campaign, you have a lot more flexibility of saying like, 
okay, so I planned for them to make it to the train and they got really caught up talking to the bartender because they're weird, but that's cool because next session we'll get to the train. And this is one where it's like, there really is no next session. You kind of have to get on the train. Otherwise, I'm not really sure where we're going. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's it's a like keeping things snappy, but uh, also not. I want people to have room to play and breathe while moving along at a nice clip. I think you did say something that I want to touch on that you're worried about having to say no or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a good thing to I very, very rarely say no. One of the things they will do is try to interpret what my player actually wants and direct them that way. So, but try to redirect to get the intention, the vibe of what the character wants to do in a way that won't derail your session or that won't break immersion in some way. You okay. Know, I want to punch a hole through the wall. It sounds like what you want to do is get to the other side of the wall. There's a window right there. Okay. <laughs> where it's like, yes, yeah, understanding where it's coming from. And getting them there in a way that works for everybody. Yes. Cool. Okay. Okay. So we have the beginning, we have the kind of start, and we have this rival character. Mm -hmm. And I think you have a decent idea of what that's kind of going to be. Let's talk a little bit about the like posse villains. Mm -hmm. In talking through, you know, you saying playing off of the idea of like, are you a group of good guys or are you a group of outlaws or like you want to be one or the other? Mm Mm-hmm. For me, that changes what the sort of final thing is in the sense of like, if you're a group of like good guys, a town being overrun by outlaws makes total sense for you to go there and rescue the town. If you're trying to be like badass outlaws yourself, yeah, kicking out this other outlaw group and taking over yourselves is like a thing, but it just doesn't really feel like I don't get, it doesn't motivate me. And I feel like it could potentially change to be like somebody's come from the West Coast with a huge amount of gold. They're headed back to the East Coast. They've stopped over in this town. And now, you know, it's prime for you to go and get away with that loot. And maybe even that is an instance where like the person who's made this fortune is like, some asshole you who you hate or whatever but it's a thing where it's like i feel like after our conversation here i want to text to the group and say are you guys feeling like you want your gang to be good guy cowboys or bad guy outlaws because i it will help me with the storytelling but i don't know if you think that i'm being too narrow about it or uh if that's actually like an okay way to think about this I think you've absolutely like as you were talking, what I was thinking of saying was you should talk to your players and then you said (laughs) I should talk to my players. Yeah, that's exactly what you should do. Yes. If you don't know which way they're going to go in something as big as that, like what your characters want to be, like what their alignment is in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a a very big difference. And you're absolutely right. The there's a very big difference in what the goal of your one shot should be. If we're a band of outlaws trying to make our name as, you know the evil outlaw, you know, the Josie Wells policy or whatever versus we're four aspiring would be sheriffs or like marshals with deputy badges. It's they're wildly different. And to come into a session, not quite knowing, you know, you could definitely do it. You could definitely have fun with that kind of improv challenge. Mm -hmm. It's worthwhile to you, especially as a first time DM, just ask your players like, Hey, are you guys going to be good guys or bad guys? And then I can better build the session. 
Right. Cause it is a thing where like even talking this through, I have an idea of kind of how to build either of them. And as you're saying, it is a thing where like in theory, I could make it a fun challenge. Well, it wouldn't be that fun, but a challenge for myself of saying like, you guys walk into the bar and then based on that first interaction, I try to determine, okay, I think that actually they like want to be badasses. They kind of want to be outlaws. And then it's like, okay, so we're going with, you know, quest A versus quest B. Uh, but I, I feel like it'll be much better for me, especially as first time doing this. And also just, yes, for you guys, making sure that I can hit on all the things you want to be like, yo, are you guys good or bad? <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Do you want to be deputies. on a wanted poster or do you want to be the guys who everybody calls when there's like an impossible bounty that they need, you know, got? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the answer, like as in most things with life, is the simplest answer and the one that requires kind of the most work in a sense. And it's that the answer is communication. They're like clear and and uh, worthwhile communication will solve most of the problems in your life and especially <laughs> in your D and D group. Being a good dungeon master is the same as being in a healthy relationship. It's all about <laughs> emotional availability and vulnerability with people that you trust. So should uh, a first time DM read like some relationship books in order to do well here? You know, on it, like not even joking, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. not even joke. I think there's an aspect of that would prepare you better for DMing than reading the Dungeon Masters. <laughs> uh, honestly, like a little bit, like you'll learn the rules, you'll figure out the rules as you go. But understanding communication between players in prep and during a game, like understanding what they want and trying to facilitate that is a big part of what you're doing. Like, and really like, you know, take a step back. What are you doing? You're making gifts for your friends on the fly. Like, yeah, you want to give them everything they want. Like, let's mm -hmm. you they want to be badasses. I want to give them all the opportunities possible to be badasses. I want them to defeat their foes. I want them to do this cool fucking shit. Right. That only happens if you properly communicate what the desire is and, you know, what the limitations are. So, yeah, you know, uh, honestly, read it, read a relationship book. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> No, you, you should read the Dungeon Master's Guide. There's a lot of really helpful tips in there. Uh, yeah, D Dungeon Master's Guide. <laughs> that, that would be step number one. Yeah, yeah. That would be a step number one. And this is another uh, point that we'll kind of come back to in session three. So rather than discuss it now, tune into session two. We'll see kind of which way the, the party leans after you talk to your, your party, talk to your, your group. And then in session three, we'll kind of talk about how that conversation went, what that conversation was, and kind of what the, the fallout of that was in the game. Uh, so great. We got a couple like little through lines we can follow throughout the three sessions. Honestly, a, a lot of prepping isn't prepping like the very minute details, which you'll soon find out as you kind of like prep your notes. It's always good to like, you know, name the towns, build a couple very broad NPCs. And another resource I would point you towards is the Arcane Library and how they, how Kelsey, she has a great uh, model for NPCs. It's always name what they are, so, you know, half-elf spy or something. A, a kind of line of dialogue that personifies them. So if it's Buzz Lightyear, he would be a lawful, good male mm, paladin, I guess. The, the words that personify him are, you know, to infinity beyond. It kind of tells, it's a catchphrase, but it tells you what he's about. There's a line for appearance, three to ten words of what they look like, kind of, you know, helmet, cut face, whatever. 
what they do. So like what kind of motions they do, you know, he's always walking very stiff, you know, he's talking to people in this way and then maybe a secret they have. This doesn't have to be like something major, but Buzz Lightyear to be is actually a toy. Right. He uh, doesn't know he's a toy. Doesn't know he's a toy. But if it's the barkeep, it could be behind the bar. He has two bars of gold that he's holding on. It doesn't have to be anything major, but it's just a little something you can like reveal or not. Uh-huh. Not a thing you have to do, but a thing that I've often found helpful. So it's good to, you know, in your prep, build out a couple NPCs that you know are going to play a part. Who's going to deliver the quest? Who's the bad guy? Who's the rival? Maybe one extra person. And then as you're planning out, you know, your combat encounter, find the stat blocks of the creatures we're going to be fighting. So if we're fighting a wolf, have the stat block of the wolf pulled up and ready to go. If you are nervous about running combat, kind of like look at all that creature's abilities, see what they're going to do and kind of plan out what you think their turns are going to look like. A really good resource for this is there's a blog called The Monsters Know What They're Doing. And it's, it's a great resource to, I think like all the monsters in the dungeon, in the monster manual that talks about what each monster would do in the fight based on their abilities. Okay. <laughs> so yes. like, you know, a wolf isn't just going to like scratch, scratch, scratch. If it has a scratch and a bite attack, it's going to bite and try to like bring you to the ground. And then have advantage on all of its scratch attacks. Right, right. So if it's you kind of like how to understand their motivation or the way in which they would utilize their different types of attacks. Exactly. I, I've always found a problem for me is that I'll get into battles and then I'll see all the abilities that these NP, that these monsters have. And because you're running like five different monsters, it's tough to optimize those right, monsters. Right. Which is another reason why 5e has it's difficult to kill a character because all of the characters know exactly what their characters do and are really invested in living. Right. And all of the monsters are run by one person who's trying to do 50 <laughs> who's things. frantically jumping around, yeah. And is looking at a stat block and sees like, oh, bite attack does 2d6. Okay, I'll do bite attack, but doesn't see that there's a strength saving throw. And also, I just met this wolf as a DM. I don't care if they live or die. I'm right, just, right. I, you know. So if you take just a little bit of time and look at those stat blocks and, you know, kind of plan what what this, you know, villain or monster will do, it'll help you a lot. So I have a question about combat specifically, because talking this through, I'm realizing that the combat is the section of this that I am the most nervous about, that I Mm -hmm. feel like, as we talked about, I have a ton of fun making weird personalities and voices and characters and like understand what information I can reveal and conversations I can have that could get people to where they need to go. But when it comes to the battle, I guess part of what I am curious about is if you have advice on how to figure out what your characters can fight in terms of like, how do I pick? Like, obviously these guys are are level three. I'm not going to give them a dragon. Like they, they are not equipped. I understand that, but there are so many options and I don't know that I know how to read their stat blocks and information about them in a way that's like, oh, this would be, you know, just a hair outside their level, which could make it really interesting versus, oh, this is way too much, or this is going to be super easy and they're going to defeat this in two seconds. So this is a great question. When you're worried about running D&D, this, the social encounters are much easier to kind of prep for because you don't yeah. have to know a lot of rules. Once you get into fighting, there's so many, there's so many spells and saving throws and this and that. And building a, an encounter that's properly balanced can be tough. 
There yes, are- that is my concern is building something that is properly balanced for us to, for it to feel challenging, but to feel confident that the players can figure it out. Luckily, there are some good tools to use. One of the main tools is built into D&D 5e. It's called challenge rating. Challenge rating is the thing you'll see at the end of every stat block. It'll say CR from zero and one eighth up to like 30. I believe the conversion is generally the challenge rating is equal to what three characters of that level could do. That might be incorrect, but there within the Dungeon Master's Guide, there is a there is an encounter builder guide. So essentially what you do is you take the level of all the characters, you add that together and that gives you kind of your maximum allotted challenge rating that they could beat. And then you take all the monsters that you're going to use and their challenge ratings, put them together and see where that falls on a certain scale. So for example, if we're doing, if I'm DMing for a group of four people and all of them are going to be playing level three characters, you add that all up and that's 12. And uh, then, no. so let me, okay. <laughs> uh, I, so what, what I'm, I'm explaining this poorly because I've never, I haven't had to do it very much because there are online tools that do it for you. Okay. Um, there are two great resources for this. One of them is Kobold Fight Club, which is a website. I think it's koboldfightclub.com. I'll link it in the show notes, as well as the encounter builder on D&D Beyond. D&D Beyond is a great resource. Uh, you can create free accounts. You can create encounters, save them. Uh, you can create, you can you know, build character sheets there, save them as well. You can create campaigns and like have people join. Uh, it's a very good resource for first time DMs because if you can get everyone to like send you their character sheets, then you can look at what their abilities allow and then have a better idea of what they're going to be doing. But within these encounter builders, and I'll provide links in the show notes for both of them, you can essentially plug in your characters and their level and then start like just adding monsters to an encounter. And it will give, it will like automatically light up the scale of, is this a easy, medium, hard, or deadly encounter? So it isn't necessarily like you're saying a direct math of like, no, the math is a pain in the ass. Okay, okay. The, and admittedly, like 5e is the most accessible math-wise. Like previous versions were much more crunchy. But not only is it kind of pain in the ass math, challenge rating isn't a great, it's not a great system. It's not particularly balanced in itself. So unfortunately, the, the tools that we have are imperfect, but they do a pretty good job. Okay. So by playing around with and, and the, the other kind of problem that challenge rating has is they plan for like a typical adventuring day is eight encounters. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean eight battles. It means eight things you get into. So challenge rating is kind of scaled for that. But the problem is most people don't do eight encounters in a day. So it, it gets a little wonky, mm-hmm. but it does give you a pretty good guide of if it's four level three characters, would four direwolves be too much or not enough? It gives you a pretty good idea. Uh, would you say that if, if, for instance, I'm going in and using a tool like this, and as you said, it's sort of calibrated to for a system where you're playing or you're doing eight encounters in a day, but we are not, that you would you skew it either up or down to account for that? Or do you think you pretty much keep it kind of as is? Like if we're, if I go in and it says four direwolves is like, Pretty good. Is it like, okay, well, but because we're not doing eight encounters, that means it's going to be too easy. What you, what you really want to do is what, what I generally do when I'm building encounters is a part of me kind of throws it out. A lot of it is based on experience for me. Unfortunately, when you're just starting, 
if you're only doing like one battle a day, kind of shoot for just uh, it's, so the, the scale is just touching the red of deadly. OK, it means it'll be tough, but has a chance to like be terrifying if you're. But if it's also if it's going to be like a random encounter where you're like you're sleep, you're you're sleeping in the desert the night before the battle and like two wolves come up and attack. You don't need to be touching the deadly. You can be touching the medium and just make it like a fun encounter where they beat the wolves, but gain some information about something. OK, this is also a thing where I am realizing <laughs> I did not really press this before because this is a one-off. I have very much been thinking of this as a one day adventure. And I'm now realizing that I do not need to think about it that way. Just because it's a one-off adventure does not mean it needs to take place within 24 hours. Like they can go to sleep in a desert. They do not need to get from the saloon to this overrun town in one day. No. Definitely not. Yeah, I didn't really, (laughs) I did not think about that at all, which feels ridiculous to admit, but. No, I honestly, I'm particularly bad at condensing time. I kind of, all of my games will play four episodes and I'll realize it's been the same day the whole time. And that was like a problem with season one on the RMS Titanfall. Like if a ship's going down, you're not going to have any time to do a short rest. We talked about a this rest. a lot. It was a thing that, that Brian would come over like a bunch when planning season one and be like, so I've sort of painted myself into a corner because they cannot take a long rest while a boat is sinking. And I was like, hmm, how do we break the system and give them some rest time yeah, th- there to was... get stuff back, even though like this is not it's you kind of had to break the system a little bit. There was a time when I was thinking about like, well, this is a super fancy ship. So maybe there's like a spa that you go into a pod for an hour and that counts as eight <laughs> hours of like, like I was really trying to like find a weird loophole. But luckily, you're not really beholden to it. And, and there is a thing where, you know, you have a battle, you're in the middle of the desert, you know, maybe they spar with their rival or something. Rival kind of kicks their ass and then gets away. OK, we go to sleep for the night and we catch up in the morning or mm-hmm. something. And that's also an aspect of choice. Like, do they do we camp out for the night and this guy maybe gets ahead of us or do we ride through the night, take a level of exhaustion mm-hmm. or less prepared for the next day? But we're definitely ahead of them. Yeah. Really, my, my best advice for planning a combat is look at one of these encounter builders and kind of just play around with it for a little bit. And you'll get a decent sense of what will work and what won't. When you are running an encounter, if it becomes clear to you that you have misbalanced it, if you have take if you put your hand too much on the scale and it's too easy, hey, you're fighting two wolves. One of them goes, ow, and two more wolves come in. Right. And that's interesting because now the environment is interacting. If you've done the opposite and it's actually too hard, hey, the players don't know how many hit points a direwolf has. Maybe they this one was injured and it has a little less hit points. Okay, yeah. Um, or maybe they get it to half health. It decides, fuck this. I'm just I was looking for a quick meal. I'm gonna dip. Right. Okay. That um, is really nice to hear as well because similarly, it's the kind of thing of I'm I'm. I think it'll be helpful to play around with these tools and to figure it out. But it is, is a thing where I feel like in the middle of a battle, cause well, I've certainly watched many in dimension 20 where, uh, Brennan gets his ass handed to him and has said like, he tried to make this hard and it just, was like everybody rolled really well and like did sorts of stuff. And similarly things where like, and it's always scary. I feel like as a player, if you're doing okay in a battle 
And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, like three more dire wolves just appear out of nowhere. Because now as a player, you're like, well, shit, how many dire wolves are there out there hiding in the woods? And it's like you it is it's a thing where it's hilarious to me as a player. I feel like I think of you as the DM as having so much planned and prepped where it's like you're like, there are a total of 20. And if they defeat all of them, like, you know, it's whatever. But it's like, no, you're just adding them, you know, as needed. And and I will say that don't penalize your players for whomping you. If if your players are (laughs) kicking your ass, let they. Right. If they planned this battle well and they made a trap and they trapped all the direwolves in a big pit and the pit had spikes and they all died. The your players will be incredibly satisfied. The only reason you put your hand on or off the scale is if there is a chance that there will be an unsatisfying encounter right. and that, okay. you know, they get to the big bad battle and it turns out it's super easy. Well, then maybe one of the bad guys is hiding out with a Gatling gun. And now that's a, an aspect of the battle. Right. The same way, if, if it's narratively unsatisfying for two wolves to like crit on people and kill and have a TPK from a random encounter, put your hand on the scale and make it easier for the players. Mm-hmm. I only advocate manipulating that type of thing when there is a possibility of an unsatisfying outcome. Okay. Okay. You're never trying to win or lose or make sure you don't or do kill a player. It's just making sure that it's happening in a narratively satisfying way. Okay, cool. And on the idea of combat and battles, don't only think about what monsters using and what they'll be doing. Put a little thought into what the terrain and what the battleground will be. Making an interesting battle is mostly, I think, like the best and easiest way to do that is to make an interesting battleground or a battleground that changes with the players or make or add an additional goal. Mm-hmm. So not only are we trying to kill this posse, maybe towns members are fleeing and they're getting in the way and maybe we have to save them or hide behind them or something. Maybe there is also, you know, a they had a monster with them that they let loose, but it's now like rampaging and destroying part of the town, providing alt like changing cover. Okay. Right. Right. Maybe there's a storm that now every turn you roll a D six and some kind of storm thing happens. Okay. If you add an immersive and dynamic battleground, not only will your, will your players feel more immersed, it'll give them another toy to play with. Cause every now and then you find a turn as a player that it's kind of like, well, the best thing to do is move hit him with my stick twice and then say that's the end of my turn. Right. If you give them an additional element to interact with or an additional thing to worry about, they have an option to do something cooler. So Mm -hmm. if the house next to them crumbles and now looks climbable, hey, I can climb up high, get a better vantage point and now call out to my buddies where the bad guys are and also hit something twice with my stick. You know, Like your, your attack is going to be the same, but you're now doing it in a way that feels more exciting because you also got to climb over some rubble. Because you have to remember like when you're doing a combat as a DM, you're kind of doing everything. So you're always talking. You're always thinking when you're a player, when you're doing combat, you kind of have to wait like 10, 15, depending on how many players, 10, 15, 20 minutes before your next turn gets around. Mm -hmm. So it's a real bummer when you roll your dice and none of your things work and you don't get to do anything or you have just a turn where you hit the monster twice, do some damage, and that's it. Mm -hmm. By allowing more options to interact, those can be more satisfying. Yeah, totally. I get that. Okay, so so we've talked about our 
plot hook or like entryways, how people can get in. We've talked about what the kind of narrative of the story is. Bad guys or something has beset a town, something going on in a nearby town. Right. And there's a rival who's trying to beat you to the punch. We've got a travel element. We've got this rival element and we've got the big bad evil guy at the end mm-hmm. who is, you know, either a posse, a gold miner. There's something there. And we'll find out what that is after you discuss with your players, which mm-hmm. is great. And we have kind of an idea of what are we want our battleground type thing to look like. Are there any other questions you have before I kind of let you off to go build on your own? This this one shot, this this world that we've created. Any questions you have that you think will help you in this building process? No, I feel like in talking out a lot of these things, I'm feeling better about it. And it is also the kind of thing if I feel like once I get into doing it, things may come up, but I'm feeling a lot better now that I feel like there are <laughs> like walls to the sandbox. Mm-hmm. And and now I'm like, okay, we can like kind of mess around and do a bunch of stuff in the middle. And like, I'll, as we've talked about, do my best to prep like but it's more of prepping the world and less of like the plot um, yeah. because God only knows what you're going to do. And so I'm feeling better about it. Uh, I think it's one of those things where all the things that I was nervous about before this conversation, I am still a little like, okay, I think they will, these will be the things that are the most challenging for me. But right. now at least I have a little bit of guidance and a little more of like a, you know, no, you've never done this before. And so it's going to be challenging and interesting and you're going to have to learn it on the fly. But now I feel like I have a little bit more, I have some tools, I have some resources, I have some things to lean on. Whereas before it was like, I don't know, girl, just, just do it. <laughs> and for, for the listeners, all of the resources that we've mentioned here and a few other ones that uh, I want to point out will be in our show notes. Literally everything we use in the session, every tool that she uses will be made available to the listener so that you guys can see fully unvarnished what people are using when they run a session. There are so many times where I would love to see like what Brennan Lee Mulligan or what Matt Mercer (laughs) have behind their DM screen. And I think this is a great way to learn when you see what people are actually using. To see the wizard behind the curtain. Exactly. Yeah. And I know you had mentioned just to touch on one of your fears that you mentioned at the top of the show about if you have to look stuff up or pause and you, you don't want to have too many delays. I, I have kind of a, a rule for that for myself. Never let the game stop. Right. That's the thing where I'm like, I, I, which, which let, let me be clear. Doesn't mean I know all the rules. Right. It just means when I get to a point where there is a rule, I don't know, unless it is vital to some kind of aspect of storytelling. If it, if, you know, we're looking up whether a banishment spell does this or this, Absolutely. Look it up. Take the time. But if it's what should this DC be or what if it's a small rule that, you know, won't super change the things, make a call, have the player do a thing, look it up while they're describing what they do, what they're doing, if you want to. And then if if you have to make a correction, correct it, then you'll be like, oh, actually, it was supposed to be this. We'll do that next time. Just be consistent. Right. Okay. If you have to improvise an armor class for a random thing and you don't have that stat block right away, eh, armor class 13, go ahead and swing a sword. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that improvisation, but the more you can just push a game forward, the better off you'll be. Okay, cool. Okay. But again, if it is a thing that you think will have like major implications, take the time, look up the rule. Mm -hmm. 
for every two hours of audio, I cut out 10 to 15 minutes of ums, ahs, pauses, and looking out for rules. Right. Like it's impossible. I understand for even just like a chill home game to just be a continuous, beautiful flow. It's like everybody, or even, you know, when it's your turn as a PC and you're like, Oh, I had a plan. That plan is, uh, has changed since the last round of combat because everything is different now. And it's like, you need to take a second to sit and figure out what your move is. And like, yeah, you don't want to take too long doing it, but it makes sense that there's going to be some pauses and whatnot, but, uh, right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Okay. Cause I'm feeling a little better about that now. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's like, just make a call, just do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just improvise it, mm-hmm. make a thing, say it with confidence. Your players won't know that that wasn't what you had written in your notes. Uh, right. Right. And if you have to retcon something, make a correction, just say, Hey guys, I actually screwed this up. That guy didn't have purple glasses. He had green glasses, but only if that's important to the story. Right. Hopefully we've quelled some of your worries. After this this prep session, where do you feel most and least confident right now? I still feel a little nervous about and and I don't want to say I'm not confident in it because I feel like I can do it. It's just a matter of how pretty it's going to be. Sure. Of getting that balance between guiding everybody to where they need to get to and also letting everybody have room to breathe and have fun and, and play and guide everything, you know, on your end as players is the thing that I feel like I don't want to rush into the battle at the end. I also want to make sure that we actually get there, Mm -hmm. you know, within 10 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that is a thing where, where I'm, I'm a little nervous about it. Things that I feel more or most confident about now is, I guess, just building the world and building the characters. And and now, especially that I have like a villain, I have a rival, I have like a town that that you guys are, are going to be in and also a place that you're headed to. I feel, as I said, really good having walls set to the sandbox. And now I can just continue to play and build things in there. and then when you guys set out to do whatever it is that you're going to do that I feel pretty confident that I will feel comfortable ebbing and flowing with you guys within the world and saying like, I wanted you to go here. You didn't go that way, but we could just take all of the NPCs that I was going to have you interact with over here, plop them back over here (laughs) and put them on your route. Uh, That is a thing that I feel um, pretty good about. I've got two more little things before we kind of get out of here. On Cannon Fodder, I always have guests ask a question for the next guest to answer about the world. I want to do a version of that here. First, I'd like for you to give yourself, give your future self a piece of encouragement that you think that person would like to hear. Oh, man. I do like self-motivation talk in my head all the time, but it just feels very weird to actually say the words out loud and not only that have them be recorded to be played for strangers (laughs) I think to my future self just keep the ball rolling and have fun and it might be messy and it might be imperfect but as long as you're having a good time and your players are having a good time then you're doing good it's perfect the last thing I want to do is a question for your part three self imagine that you've finished this session We're now talking about what went right, what went wrong. What is something that you want to know from that person? 
I'm not sure if this is exactly what you're looking for, but knowing myself and the way I critique a lot of my own work, I feel like it's sometimes easy for me to forget the things that I've done where it's like that was challenging and you should be proud of yourself. Mm-hmm. And like things where it's like you did a really good, you know, it's hard. It's harder for me to like look at a thing and and hype myself up. And so I feel like a question I want to present to myself and a thing that I'm trying to get better at doing generally is um, what's something that maybe didn't go according to plan, but you're happy with the way it pivoted or the way it worked out or a way, you know, what's something that went sideways and and how did you handle it and bring it back, if that makes sense? I mean, it makes perfect sense. I also think it's a great question. I can't wait to hear the answer sometime <laughs> in the near future. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we're now at a point where I'm going to kind of let you go to your own devices to plan and build ah. and have fun. Like, this is the fun part of DMing. I am um, really excited to, like, get into the nitty gritty and do it now. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, we're playing, you know, it's Monday now. We're playing, I believe, on Saturday. Uh, so you've got a lot of time to, like, kind of plan and prep and get yourself ready. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very excited. And I haven't played. I don't get to play that much because I'm always DMing. I know, you so get to be, be a fun. player. It's going to be wild. Uh, you guys will see how <laughs> mediocre I am as a player. Like, I I think I'm so much better as a DM because I've just had so much more practice. You're just out of practice, babe. I'm out of practice. and That's fine. <laughs> That is all for part one of this three-part series, My First Dungeon. Next week, Abby's going to be stepping behind the DM screen for the very first time to run the session that we have just talked about. You'll get to find out all the answers to the questions you have. Are we good guys or bad guys? Who is this rival? Will you get to do Kevin's character bit? How is that going to work? What What is your communication like with your players? And we're going to get to see all of your DM notes and things when we next speak. Any predictions about the game? I I don't think I'm going to kill anybody. I'm either going to kill everyone or I'm not going to kill anyone. <laughs> Fair enough. We're going to see if that comes true. Tune in next time for part two, where we play this game live for you guys. And in the meantime, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode, where you can find links to all of the physical and digital assets that we've mentioned, as well as a few others that I find personally helpful. A few examples of good games to listen to, a few good podcasts to check out, and a few great resources that will help you, whether you are a first-time DM or a seasoned pro. So until next time, just remember, if you're having fun, you're already doing it right. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye! Bye! 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 Hey everybody, this is Abby. If you enjoyed this episode of My First Dungeon, you might want to check out some of our other shows in the Fractured Realms. For instance, our D&D actual play anthology show, The 20-Sided Podcast. This season is called Prisoners of the Static, and I play Natasha Borshekat, captain of the Gilded Ghost. Interested? Check out the trailer and tune in every Monday for brand new episodes. Bye-bye! The static 
A mysterious, mist-covered scar left behind by the Titans. Nothing that has entered that expanse of fog has ever been seen again. Until now, that is. A message in a bottle containing two things. The first, a plea for help from the legendary weaponsmith to the gods. The second, a warning. Here, there be monsters. In season two of the 20-sided podcast, three brand new players will descend into the unknown, shackled by their secrets and fears, and venture past the ominous white expanse to learn, only too late, that they are about to become prisoners of the static. Be seeing you. You like us. You really like us. At least... I assume that you do, as you've listened to every minute of this episode. And yet you haven't already left us a five-star review? Ugh. Well, what are you waiting for? Get over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave that review now. It's always wonderful to hear words from our adoring fans. Getting more ratings helps people find the show and love it as well. And we love to hear your nice words. So head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star review. Ta-ta!